Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Hey, what up? It is Mike D, producer of the Bobbycast, and I wanted to share an episode with you that you may have missed with Dave Haywood because it's a really awesome one. And the reason we're bringing it up is because we recently had Josh Keir on the show who wrote Need You Now with Lady Antebellum. Now, this song almost never happened, which is crazy. It came out 10 years ago, and actually almost to the day is when it started its five-week run at number one on the country charts, which is pretty unheard of now with um, just the way music is. So it's pretty crazy to hear the story of how this song almost never happened. It was literally just a voice memo in their phone. wasn't even going to be on the album. Dave Haywood talks about that story and also just about how he grew up. Super smart guy. His dad's a dentist. So really, there's a lot of ways his life could have gone um, outside of being in Lady Adabellum. So here you go. Episode 103 of the Bobby Cast, in case you missed it, with Dave Haywood. All right, welcome uh, to the episode with Dave Haywood from Lady Adabellum. You're like the unicorn, man. You're like the magical unicorn. I've never <laughs> had a one-on-one interaction with you. You're the oh, only yeah. one of the three of you guys. Are you nervous? Well, a bit. <laughs> I was a little anxious before you came over because I was talking to Mike. He said, hey, uh, Mike, who produces right. this, he said, hey, you, you want to get Lady A? I said, I want to get Dave. Oh, look at that, man. I appreciate that. Because. Some Dave love. I've worked There's with, a small but mighty fan club of us out there. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm in it yet. I, that's what. So I've worked with Charles. Yeah. But, uh, we did some of his The Shot together, that, right. that golf show. I mean, obviously, I know you guys from the superficial, hey, come in. Right. Give you a half a hug and talk about whatever project. Right. You know, that, that whole part of it. Right. I know Hillary when she was doing her solo stuff and um, we did some stuff. But I right. Never have you and I just been. Yeah. The conversation you and I just had was the only one-on-one conversation <laughs> we've ever had. It's nice. And again, like it. you're the unicorn. This is my first podcast ever. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, you'll enjoy it because you get to stretch out a bit. Yeah. I know. I like it. I was telling my wife, I was like, it's going to be nice to just kind of chat and not know you only have two minutes. You know, and you got to roll. Even for me, doing the radio thing, it's... And I get to talk longer than most shows. Right. I have a little room because my audience 
uh, they know what to expect. Right. But even then, it's seven minutes. Right. Bam, 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 right. Bam. right. You know, get right. the points out. Make a funny joke. Right. Get in. Right. Let Charles say something obnoxious. <laughs> All right. Let Hillary say something sweet. Then Dave says something really smart, and you're like, did you just move on because you don't really know what he just said because it's too musical? <laughs> so I'm glad you came in. Glad Thanks you came for having me. Thank you for having me. Uh, my, so I went to the dentist today. Okay. And I, I bring this up to you because your dad basically invented teeth whitening. Uh, essentially. Okay. Yeah. I went to the dentist today. And so I, when I started to be somewhat successful, I got new teeth. Oh, you did? Nice. Because I never yeah. had braces. and I, I couldn't afford braces as a kid. Right. And so I got these yeah. four and five on the bottom. Yeah. Really crooked. Yeah. I went today, right? And I broke one of them. Oh. And they replaced it. It was a wrong color. They gave me the wrong color tooth. Wait, like the wrong shade of white? Yeah. Of- it was like gray. And so I went in, they took the temporary off, put the new one on, didn't match, took it back off, put the temporary back on, sent me home. What? Yeah. Hour and a half. And there's a little pain and nothing happened today except they said, oop, we put the wrong color. What do you think about did that? Did they I not said, match it? No. I mean, they, I, they, I like don't, the... they, did, they did when it was in my mouth. Yeah. But they called the lab to try to get it fixed the same day and that Normally doesn't they happen. let you, did you get to approve it or not? Normally they show you the color... Yeah, to make sure that you can see it to like approve it. The hygienist said you're not going to like this. She oh. said they sent the wrong color. Oh no! Mm. Wow. So your thoughts as an expert <laughs> tooth person? I don't know if I'm an expert tooth person. My dad wanted me to be a dentist growing up. Was that the thing? Uh, but I don't. You know, it's funny. I, I just didn't like hands and mouth, and it's just kind of a gross area to me. But um, how have you liked it? How's it worked out for you? Which part of it? The veneers. Oh, I mean, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of oral issues because I never I never went to the dentist in my 20s, period. Yeah. So I love them. And I went to, do you know uh, Caroline Cutberth? Yeah. She, oh, yeah. So her dad is in Waco, Texas. and is. Like, oh, my dad knows her dad. So, yeah. Yep. So I went to him because yep. I trusted him. I'm yep. so scared of the mouth. Yep. And so I love them, actually. And they're... They look great. Thanks. Yeah. I'm really proud of and them. And you don't have to t- whiten them. My dad did the teeth whitening, so that was his kind of thing. So he, he helped. So he helped write the first article on teeth whitening in the early 80s. Um, he was doing a research grant at UNC, North Carolina in Chapel Hill, where we used to live, um, which I always leave out of the story because I was mostly in Augusta, Georgia for most of my life. But in UNC, my dad was doing a research grant and researching teeth whitening and wrote the first article in the world about this is just nerd talk, but um, the That's pers- what a podcast is for, by the way, is nerdy. Good, all right, good. So my dad wrote the first article in the world on using carbamide peroxide, which you put in the tray and you sleep in at night um, to try to whiten your teeth. So he wrote the first article on that in the world in the early '80s, and so people kind of coined him like the grandfather of teeth whitening. Uh, and so he speaks on it all around the world. Um, a lot of the rest of the world is a lot farther behind in dental work than America is. So he speaks. A lot. A majority of his time is around the world, uh, all over the place. I mean, through Russia and Australia and wow, Japan. Really? Yeah, I mean, he's he like travels more than we do <laughs> in the band. So, your dad teaches school. So he teaches. Yeah, he teaches um, like sophomores and juniors because he loves teaching of college. And in college. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, in the dental program, in dental school. So after college for their uh, master's in dentistry and stuff. So he teaches and then he does research on teeth whitening and speaks. And then he also sees some general patients. So Would he have liked you to be a dentist? Was he wanted thing? me to be. He wanted me to be. I mean, he, you know, he would bring home little exercises that his students would do when I was young where you have to work with chalk and work with your hands and like form things. And I tried it a few times. I just wasn't any good at it. But it's just kind of gross to me. 
Yeah, it's close to me too. But my dad, I will say, so to give my dad credit, the reason he loves dentistry is because this sounds cheesy, but he does love to make people happy and make people smile. So at the core of it, he does it because he loves making other people happy. And when you know when you go in, you get everything done, and then you like look in the mirror for the first time, you feel great about yourself. Oh, so I he, do. it's changed my yeah, it, it, my confidence level. Yeah, is. Two points higher because I my teeth are better. Right. And that's what he believes in. I mean, he really is like as gross as being in the dental chair is and always, you know, somebody's over you trying to talk and all that stuff. He loves it because he walk, when people walk out, they smile and they're happy and they their confidence level goes through the roof. So so he's academic. Yeah. Do you think a bit genetically that's why you are you're academic musically? I think so. Yeah. yeah do, I mean, do you see that same trait where he associates himself with that that you're doing music i think that's a good point yeah has that's anyone ever point. made that point no one's no. <laughs> yes <laughs> we, we have a breakthrough i had, I had a uh, well coming over here i was like is this going to be like my counseling sessions where like you know people have cried in that chair really and they didn't think they were going to <laughs> mm. you know with um you know robert eaton of course yeah really robert and i got real yeah he's a heartfelt guy we he, got, he you know again it's a great point. It's a good point, Bobby. I mean, people that really come from that place of like, I want to do something that matters. And even though you wouldn't think like, it's just dentistry, it's just teeth. To my dad, it matters because it does give people confidence. And and I know Robert shares so much of that. He's passionate. He's really passionate. I love that dude. You know, like he's always moving and shaking for the TV shows and the award shows and the festivals that he's doing. But man, at the core of it, he is just, I mean, that Carrie Underwood moment that, that you know, happened at the CMAs, all these things were just, I mean, that's, what he lives for is to make people feel great in that. So when were you starting to go, I think I'm pretty good at music then? I mean, growing up, I mean, probably age 10, 12. Were you advanced um, quickly? I mean, the guitar came really easy. And again, my dad always explained to me, he's like, you know what a talent is, right? I was like, no. He's like, when it actually comes to you really easily. And I was like, but it doesn't feel like a talent because it's easy. Uh, and he's like, well, that means you're talented at it. I was like, oh, I guess I'm talented at guitar. It just came naturally and easy um, and coming up with chord progressions and coming up with um, I would just use some basic recording software uh, which was a cassette tape that had multi-tracks on it and I would record like four track instrumental little jams and I'd just play them in the kitchen for my mom all the time uh, with drums I had a drum machine and bass and guitars and mandolin and I just kind of make these little instrumental things and that was fun and that was easy and I felt like I came alive in that process. So I love that's when I got really into recording, playing guitar. I mean, I was probably 12, 13 years old. Who put all that in front of you? Because someone had to say, here's a guitar, here's how to run a four track. Yeah, my dad gave me the um, first guitar and he plays banjo and guitar. My mom plays piano. And I really learned, it was a lot from them. We had a music room, just like a room, you know, kind of like this, but all instruments lining the walls. And once it was in front of me, I just... I loved learning instruments, and again, it just came naturally, and it was fun to figure out when I figured out the mandolin, you know, and, and figured out uh, the bass and all these things. My dad taught me the core of guitar, and my mom taught me the core of piano, but kind of it's branched off into a lot of different instruments, and then recording, I just fell in love with the cassette tape, recording, adding something on top, adding something else. I mean, nowadays, the software is insane. You can do that a million times, but back then, you really had to work hard to kind of navigate recording multiple tracks so did you want to be on a stage or did you want to create from behind i didn't want to be on a stage i honestly i i would say when i when i set out it was the love of 
creating music. The studio and songwriting. I would say I'd hang my hat on songwriting and producing or being creative in the studio. Did you find the formula to songwriting would come to you pretty easy too? Yeah. I mean, it just made sense in like a way that's, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's hard to describe what I hear when I have an idea, I guess. You know, like if somebody were to say, we need a song for, I mean, when we wrote Love Don't Live Here, actually nobody probably ever knows this, which we can get deep, I guess. When we wrote Love Don't Live Here, we had heard that um, Harley Davidson was looking for a theme song. And so uh, Josh Kelly, Charles's brother, told us, he's like, dude, Harley Davidson's looking for a riff for their theme song. And I was like, ooh, I know. I got some great ideas. I bet I can come up with a riff for something. And we went through a bunch of riffs, and then the riff that we settled on ended up being something we kept for ourselves, which was Love Don't Live Here, the very opening guitar riff of Love Don't Live Here, which is the first song we ever put out as Lady in a Bellum. But I don't know. I don't know. When I hear songwriting to me, I feel like if you give me an idea or say, man, we need a let's, – let's write about this. Let's write about this mood. Let's write about this vibe. Very first song. Uh, you wrote it for Harley and kept it for yourself. <laughs> that's right. I like that. But yeah, that guitar riff. You know, coming up with that. I mean, that, just that. Uh, and that brings back good memories. It was the old Paul, Paul Worley days, man. He is such a cat in the studio. I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> Do you think of guys whenever you were coming up and think of them in the studio? Like you talk about Paul Worley. Yeah. How much of him did you watch and study because that's what you were really into? Yeah, so that was what I was really into. So Dan Huff, Paul Worley. Dan, we had Dan Huff on one of these. Really? Mind blown. The whole thing, I was just staring at him. Oh. It's so, you should, if you ever go back and listen to podcasts, listen to the Dan Huff one of I these. Will. All it is me fangirling for an hour. <laughs> Here's, here's me every question. You did that too? That's every question to the Dan of. God, he's got a resume. But I, that production, I mean, Mark Bright. So Mark Bright, I mean, the first Carrie record was sick. Uh, but Dan Huff, Mark Bright, um, uh, Paul Worley, and even Ed Cash. I don't know if you know Ed Cash. He produced Dave Barnes, uh, a lot of his records. But so, yeah, those guys are kind of, to me, my unsung heroes. Of, and you would watch them. And I would read all the liner notes. I would do everything you could to understand what in the world is Paul Worley doing on that Dixie Chicks record? Like, how does he get that? Like, who came up with that? Who came up with the fiddle on Cowboy Take Me Away? Who came up with that? You know, that was what blew my mind, was the production, the musicians, and, of course, the songwriting. So, yeah, I mean, to go back to your original question, did I move to Nashville to, to be under the bright lights and be in the middle of the stage it's a great amazing perk of what we get to do but i would say what i cut my teeth on in my core and my love my absolute love i can stay up all night long sitting in the studio working on stuff the dynamic of the group works because of that charles is big and loud of course and one, he is a made front man yeah of H- course hillary not as big and loud but great singer Heart. Heart. Yes. Passionate. Passionate. They would have made it themselves. Right. Equally, if they, if you guys never formed. Right. Another frontman wouldn't have worked. Right. I hope that's fair to say. No, fair to say for sure. What, I, what I've come to find out over the years, um, I've recently been diving into the Enneagram in podcasts, if you've heard of that personality test. But there's a beautiful way that our personalities mix and match. I mean, it's really beautiful. I mean, there's no other way you could have orchestrated it. I mean, I, I, you know, the way me and Charles started, the way we met her, 
And we are three completely different personalities, but it just works. To be know? fair, I would say you are the front man in the studio. I'd say it's, yeah. it's a different, it's like a, a triangle. Well, we each have our roles, shifts, kind of. Yes. We, we, the way we say it a lot is we each have our roles, I think. And Charles is so great live. I mean, so great live. I mean, when we were in middle school, he, we'd be sitting, I mean, I, I played guitar in a band, and so... Charles would like come up on stage like he does now, you know, when he was always like, dude, let me come up on stage and sing. So he'd come up on stage in middle school and do the same thing. And we'd play Mustang Sally or play a James Brown song. And he would just light the room up and he's 11 years old. I'm like, how do you do that? You know, because I'd be back there playing all the parts and doing stuff. And he's amazing live. And I think Hillary, like you said, is such an amazing, passionate, heartfelt person and wears her heart on her sleeve and people connect with it and they connect with her so much. And then what I lose my what I will take to my grave is I just am obsessed with songwriting and production, and so it's just this beautiful kind of triangle of the way things that are married in our group. When you go into the studio, are you the boss of the group? I mean, I I would say they look to me for like, hey, what do you think we should do? Um, I mean, there's always a producer there too, but what I real I know us and I know what we'll do. Really, the producer is helpful to kind of push us, but. I think at the end of the day, I'm like, man, we, you know, we really, we should add strings to this. I really don't think we should, that guitar riff's just too cheesy for us. We wouldn't do that. Let me try coming up with something myself. I think they look to me musically for where we go and dynamically. And I just know what I can hear that we're talking about. You know, a lot of times you kind of have banter of like, man, it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. Dave, what are, what are we trying to articulate here? It's like, Dynamically, this isn't happening. How do we make this happen in the studio? Is that getting really deep and too nerdy? No, I think it's uh, actually not nerdy enough. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah, that's what the whole store basically is: fresh leather, yep. friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson... How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash, 
alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means the families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. So I remember the first time I heard of, I heard of you guys, I was doing pop radio and really nice. yeah you guys had come through austin and you had just start, when did you guys sign a deal what you just 2007 we signed with capital so i was i was building i was syndicating a pop that was what i was doing at the time i started to build this syndication company and i remember you guys coming through and i, I remember the name lady Annabellum, which was a weird name the first time you hear it and i thought right. lady it must be a bunch of girls right. so what was the process in naming the band <laughs> because it's a very feminine name right and was Hillary thought of since it's Lady Antebellum that people are going to assume that she's Antebellum? Was that a thing where everyone kept calling? To this day, we will walk in a venue. I mean, literally to this day. I mean, we were just on an arena tour, right? Backstage at Brids- Bridgestone, I heard a security guard say, well, what time does the lady get here? And I was like, wow. You know, it's just, it really, it's, it's, it's great humble pie. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the process of us coming up with it was just it was so small and it didn't feel like it would be anything that stuck because we were just trying to come up with something weird enough to get people's attention Um, because that was back in the myspace days and you know people are probably tuning out what is myspace but you know we had all of our music up on myspace and we were trying to just come up with kind of a wacky name like as clickbait you know like where somebody's like come they're like what in the world is that lady in a mountain so that was kind of the goal was to come up with something so weird people will click on it and um I mean, we came up with it taking pictures in front of some old homes in Franklin. We drove out a little bit past Cool Springs where we were and, and took some photos in front of these old kind of mansions and stuff out there. Beautiful antebellum homes. That you couldn't own yet. But no, one no day. we couldn't own one yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, beautiful antebellum homes. We were talking about how, man, these homes are really neat and they're such cool antebellum homes. And we we're like, well, that could be a band name, Antebellum. And then Charles was like, what about the ghost of the lady antebellum like there's a lady that lives in the house in the antebellum home the, the lady of antebellum and we were like man that's so uh, what was the band we referenced like saving jane you know like kind of the, a feminine leaning name but with like two bearded hairy guys you know and you know dueling lead vocals and different styles musically it just was all i don't know it happened really organically was it always thought of as dueling lead vocals with mm-hmm. us yeah from the from the very beginning so the first song we wrote ever was a song called all we'd ever need um which was not a single but i remember we wrote it um we were trying to get on hillary's bandwagon so speaking of hillary being able to make it on her own charles and i were like you know what 
we're riding her coattails all the way to the bank and to the, <laughs> we were like, she's going to make it, man. She's huge. Um, her voice was insane. And so we were trying to write songs for her. Uh, and the first song we wrote was called All We'd Ever Need. And it was off Hillary singing the lead vocal. And we were writing it and she was like, God, I just think, Charles, you should sing. You've got a great voice. I think you should sing lead on the second verse and kind of enter as like the second, you know, the male partner uh, from a story writing perspective and so once we had the both vocals in there it was like well this feels really cool and different um but we're like we you can't have two vocalists you can't have two vocalists in a band so it's not going to work but this is really interesting maybe we'll pitch it to garth and trisha or tim and faith or somebody doing a duets record um but sure enough we started writing more duets and then more kind of hillary leads charles lead and of course a lot of three-part harmony all over the place so it, it was very again organic and the way it all evolved and happened naturally i mean early on radio i mean they told us to our face they're like you know we like you guys but it's not going to work you can't have two singers you can't have two lead singers nobody everyone's going to get confused and we would reference you know fleetwood mac and the eagles i mean all these bands that had multiple people singing lead had many leads very all of them all of them them, yeah i mean timothy b schmidt is my favorite (laughs) eagles member uh, just with his voice, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, people said like, man, I don't think it's going to work. And, you know, we were like, we, we stuck to our guns. It felt organic and it felt that's who we were. It's crazy to the organicness of just you and Charles actually knowing each other for that long, much right. less having fr- a working relationship, a friendship, right. because you brought up the fact that, you know, middle school, right. To have two people that are that talented though, even in a small town. Yeah. Just as weird. It's almost the outlier effect where you had two people that love the same thing whose personalities happen to work in a compatible way. Then you came to town. That is, the odds of that happening are crazy. It is. I mean, and and Charles was like the only person. That's funny you bring that up. You bring up good points. I mean, I, I just remember being in Augusta thinking, I hear music so different. I just, when I hear the radio, and I hear songs, I hear production. I can't even articulate what goes on in my head. There's a bazillion things for every track I hear. And I was like, I just don't, no one else understands that. But then when I met Charles and we started to kind of do some writing and, and played in bands and did, I was like, he gets it, man. Like, I, I think he here, and we, when, when we started writing together in college at, at University of Georgia, I was like, okay, we're on the same wavelength. And, and it is rare. I mean, to both come out of the same town, um, it's a weird, the creative brain is just a, it's a weird thing to explain. You know, I know people are always like, how do you write songs? How do you come up with ideas? How do you do stuff? And it's, it's hard. I think of like asking, how do you run fast? I mean, <laughs> which how, I can't do. Well, <laughs> right. Well, I, I don't know how fast you run, but it's for me, it, you know, how do you think quick? Yeah. Like I've, God has gifted me with a talent and right. I've learned how to take this talent and put it into the tunnel. Right. And drill it down. Yeah. But I think we all have something that we're right. naturally good at. Yeah, and that's the beauty of a talent. Again, like my dad told me, I didn't get what a talent was. I didn't see it because it came easy to me. I, I, I figured a talent was like something you really had to like, I hope this doesn't sound uh, backwards, but you know, like something you had to work really hard. Like I wanted to play sports. I just was not good at sports, uh, any of them really. Uh, and I wanted so bad to be talented at sports, but I just wasn't. But music was just easy. I was like, well, that's easy. I know exactly what a song can come on the radio. I can mostly tell you what key it's in. 
Uh, so you could, you could hear the key. Yeah, pretty much. I could, uh, uh, that came off more. That sounded really pretentious as I said it. But knowing guitar so well, I just know what chords they're playing. The thing about um, podcasts, most listeners are pretentious, so we're all good. We're all in the same pretentious room together. This is that's, an elite yeah, group? Yeah, oh, it's an elite if, group. Anyone's listening to this is elite. <laughs> if they've made it the 30 minutes in already, then this is the, they're even more elite. So you say, you, and, you jokingly <laughs> said that you and Charles were going to ride Hillary's coattails, and I don't use the same term, but when you and Charles came to town, did you just want to write for Charles and play for Charles? I did. So when we got to town, we were doing pop music. Um you moved so, to Nashville to do pop music. I moved to Nashville to write music. This is I love it going back, man. I, we moved to Nashville because of Josh Kelly. So Charles has Charles has an older brother, Josh Kelly, who had a big pop song called "Amazing," um, which was huge in 2003, I think. And so he bought a house in Cool Springs and said, "Dude, you guys, man, he's so nice, he's so kind." He said, "Y'all come to Nashville, man. You guys have the talent. Like, come and just try to write music." So me and Charles moved into his house in Cool Springs together under the goal of just writing songs. We wanted to be songwriters. Um, once we got there, Charles and I started to write songs together a lot and made a CD under his name, two CDs under his name at, um, at at the home studio there. And so, yeah, I mean, we were doing pop stuff under Charles's name, and we'd travel all around and play coffee shops and really small, really small places. <laughs> Who was in your class of moving to Nashville? Because it seems everybody has a class, and they all moved at the same time, and they were... Uh, my, ours was around Luke. Um, I remember, because we were from Georgia. So I remember a bunch of my friends from Georgia Southern, you know, we were going to move to Nashville, and they're like, dude, there's this country guy, you know, Luke Bryan, keep an eye out for him. He got a record deal about a year before um, we did, uh, I believe. And I just remember he was in that development deal and record deal around the same time. So kind of the Luke Bryan... Uh, era, a couple of those people. I mean, Miranda was before us, um, but yeah, I mean, Luke was would be probably our closest. Like both at the same record label, both from Georgia, new mutual friends and stuff. You moved to uh, Nashville, you and Charles, and one, and, and I get to this in a minute. And you talk about MySpace and how it was <laughs> such a big part, but you don't even have a Twitter page. Like social media was such a big part of you guys' uh, story. Yet you don't have a Twitter page and just got on Instagram. Are you talking about me personally? Yes, Dave Haywood. Yeah. Personally, I know you did. But again, there's a little bit of beauty to the irony yeah. of social media being such a big part of the story of yeah. your life and career. And now you just aren't on it. Yeah, really. I, I could talk about this for hours. We could do a whole other po- uh, podcast on social media for me. I know computer programming really well. Really well. That was my major in college was um, information systems technology that sounds really nerdy for all the uh listeners out there but i was an mist major at at uga and so studied computer programming so i know backwards and forwards facebook when it came out and and social media and what it does and how it operates and i love for a time i loved being on it and our band started doing so much on myspace and we did these webisodes once a week um i feel like we were one of the first people to really have a camera out a lot and capture a lot of webisodes early on in country music. Um, and so that was our main thing. But for me now, I just kind of, kind of pulled back. I mean, just, there's kind of this thing that happens with me where my personality type, um, Enneagram nine for all the Enneagram listeners out there. Uh, my personality type just doesn't do well with tons and tons of exposure and critique with my personal stuff. You know, so for me, um, just to be completely honest with you, there's just boundaries I have. Um, they're healthy boundaries that I've worked through that are best for me. Um, 
I'll share once every few weeks what I'm kind of doing with my family. But for me, I have to kind of pull back and I have to have those boundaries about things that are private between, you know, stuff with our kids and stuff with my wife. I don't know. There's a beauty in in letting people walk through a journey with you. I really think there's a beauty in that. Um, But for me, there's parts of personal life that I just have some boundaries with personally. I I don't document every day what I do. Um, I just kind of enjoy... I I feel pressure. My personality type feels the pressure to perform. Um, If I have to know that every single day I've got an Insta story, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and know what I'm doing is really, really awesome every day. My personality type doesn't do well with that kind of performance and pressure on a day-to-day basis. So for me, I do better kind of pulling back and then popping in with like, hey, check this out. We had a baby <laughs> or, you know, hey, we're, we're doing this in the studio. But for me, I just kind of enjoy, um, I enjoy that boundary. Is that okay to say? Yeah, I think any boundary that you set up front is a fair boundary. I think where people get in trouble is if they're posting lots of things, and we'll talk about social media specifically. Yeah. They post and they put, and then all of a sudden they demand, no, this is my personal life. Yeah. It's. Right. You, you have to condition people right. to be conditioned. Right. And so. If you're setting the boundary, you can live within it. It's what we were talking about, and we won't say who. We were talking about somebody uh, in the media earlier, and my point about them was they're always consistent, and I enjoy that. Right, right. Regardless if I agree with them or not, I just enjoy consistency in humans, in media. I try to give it. Sometimes I'm consistently inconsistent, and that's even a sort of consistency. Right, right, right. Sorry, that took me a second. (laughs) I got you on that. With social media, the, the answer for me is... If that's your rule, then we all play by it. Right. Now, if it's your rule, but you change it up, and then you demand other people follow your, then it gets a little squishy. Right. I think that's completely fair. I just right. saw the irony in yeah. MySpace was a big part of Lady Antebellum. Right. I can't find you on Twitter. I'm <laughs> I like, don't. I can't go at Dave Haywood. I have to go hashtag Dave Haywood. Just some, it's like at Charles Kelly LA, at him, and then hashtag Dave Haywood because he doesn't exist. I, I'm in the minority here. I, I understand that me. Uh, me not being on, on all social media, I'm in the minority. I get that. And I know I probably sound really old school and people are going to roll their eyes at it. But for me, again, my personality type just has to have time for me to retreat. For me to process things and to live my best life, I have to pull back. And when I go home, I have to not share it. that. Um, and I'll give you just a completely candid, completely candid and personal experience and story about that. End of last year, I had a little season of anxiety in my life. Uh, some panic attacks. Everything kind of came crashing down for a little bit. And I said a, a million times to myself, if I had the pressure every day that I would have had to post on social media during that time, it would have broken me down even more. Um, it was just a season of a lot of things. And again, I have boundaries with what I even share, but I want people to know that it's okay to go through those things. For me, I just, I didn't have, I would have been so wrecked if I was going through all this stuff personally and I had to post, today was awesome, today was sick, you know, I just had the best lit breakfast with my bros. Like, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I wasn't. I had a little rough patch of some personal things. So, I don't know. For me, again, it's my, it's my um, personality type that does the best when I can have moments to pr- retreat, process, pull back, and have time for me. I just have to have carve out time for me that's not shared, if that's okay. That anxiety, I was on some crazy anxiety medicine for a long time. Really? Because I, 
I've never real seen stuff, anything man. so good. And I never thought it was until I actually went through it. Yeah. And I, it would almost, it, it felt like egg coming over me that yeah. I couldn't get out of. Oh, or, yeah. Or like, you know when the mime does the hands? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It felt like that was around me. Yeah. And I couldn't control it. Yeah. And I, then I got on some medicine I couldn't get off. Yeah. It was a whole thing. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, a, you know, I never, I, I never fully understood mental health. And I'll be completely honest. And I actually feel like I can empathize now because I was trapped in, in some deep anxiety and, and panic attacks for about three months. And man, it sucks. It completely sucks. You feel alone. You feel fear. Yeah, and you, you feel, feel like a lot nobody of stuff. Else can understand. You feel like nobody understands. Yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah. I, and people get butterflies, and and I get butter. But again, it's if you take a a, a flamethrower of butterflies, yeah. and shoot them right up your butthole, yeah. that, that into your body. That's yeah. really what it feels oh, like. Oh yeah, and you, can, yeah, yeah. I and I still have anxiety. I go to therapists all the time. Yeah, I me spend too. Way too much money therapy. You should, man. Counseling is so, it's life changing. It's completely life changing. For me, it lets me look at me. Yeah. That's the hardest it's a thing I've ever had to it's do. It's like somebody gives you a mirror. They, they hold a mirror and say, well, here's here's what you're saying. Here's where you are. awareness is self-awareness. It is. And that's my struggle. It is. Is looking at myself in a natural way. Right. And it's, it's hard and you don't want to do it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. I'm telling you, it's, it's so worth it. I, it's been a life changer for me. I mean, I even spent some time at this place called OnSite, which oh, is a spiritual growth no, place. I'm like, you brought that up. Listen, you went Have there? you been? Okay, let me tell you what happened. Because she's not going to care. I, I mentioned this. So, Oh, yeah. She just went. She said, ah, I'm two different people. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Before and after. Yeah. And, and I know Miles, the CEO oh, you of do, OnSite. Yeah. So yeah. I, did, I did a TED. Oh, now we're going down the no, no, no. hole. There we you go. Because go. yeah. so, I got so many questions. <laughs> and uh, so I, I did a TED Talk. And I did a TED Talk on successful people and how losing and failure is pivotal in success Mm -hmm. and we and that's counterintuitive to what we see that we think somebody just goes hey i'm good at something and then they just win at life right and that's really not what happens right even the best people struggle and the struggle is what makes them and separates them from the good right so i do this ted talk and miles who runs on site Mm -hmm. i meet him for the first time he does it right right before me or after me and I say, hey, because I'm, I'm big into therapy. I make jokes, but I'm big into it. It's changed yeah. my life. Yeah, me too. So I uh, say, hey, you know, I have this house, and it's right outside of Nashville. You should come check it out. I don't really think anything about it. I'm at a charity event with my co-host, Amy, and I see him again. And I bring it up to him. I say, man, I want to come out there. I just I need to get away. Did you check your phone? Yeah, I couldn't use it. for. That's crazy yeah. to me. But what Which about, was fine because I don't have social media. So there's nothing for me to. Keep I guess up. for me it's just what if something happens to my dog? Yeah. What if something and I don't have kids or a wife? The, but the, there's emergency protocol. They'll, they'll, there is. Yeah. Oh yeah. That you can, part of it scares me so much. I don't even want to ask. You could go to a specific place and say like, "Hey, I've got to check on," and they'll be like, "Okay, so fine." Really? They just don't want you to be what we all do. You walk right out of counseling. You hop back on your email and your text and everything. That's what I would do. I would live. Yeah. They, they have TVs. Um, they don't. I don't know if I Dave, I sleep with the TV on it. I sleep with the TV on at night. I but, grew up, I yeah. never had a bedroom. Yeah. So I slept on the couch in the living room. The TV stayed on because I lived in the living room. Right. I sleep with the TV on or I get so anxious. Right. Because since nine, the TV's been on when I sleep. I can't go somewhere and sleep without a TV. Mm. Well, maybe you could do like a white noise machine they, instead. I did this stuff doesn't work. <laughs> I need to have King of Queens or the Honeymooners. <laughs> King of Queens. Yeah. It's got to be on in the background. I had my. So you just need like the noise of like Seinfeld happening. I, whatever it is, this is how messed up I have in my head. I have to have already seen the episode uh, because if I haven't, 
I want to know what's going on. Right. And I like learning. Right. And if it's something that I I think I because I'll Wikipedia things. Right. Just watching TV, I have my laptop, and I'll just Wikipedia things and learn about them as a show happens. Right. Background actors. Right. Yeah. Uh, we're watching The Crown right now, and that's what we're doing too. Dude, it's like first. That's all I did the first three episodes until I trusted yeah. it, and then I just went with it. Right. But I fact checked every part of The Crown. Right. Fantastic. Right. Right. It's great. It's and, great. Do you feel like you're learning? Because I did. I do. I feel like I haven't learned in a long time about history. And it's I gave kind zero of, crap about the royal family. Yeah. I'm totally invested I'm to- in his wedding yeah. now. Oh too. yeah. I know. We're like, well, who's going to be the next this and who's the next that? You know, going forward and. Were you amazed that Queen Elizabeth was never supposed to be the queen? Like, that blows yeah, my mind. I know. She wasn't even in line for it. I know. And I know. her. We're only uncle. like four episodes in, so don't get Well, no, too... but that's the. Yeah, but I know that, that that's part of history, yes. No, no, and that's in the first four episodes. That's yeah, the first it is. thing. Her yep. uncle was the freaking king. I know. He quit because he was dating a Kardashian, basically. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's my. Oh, we're here with Dave Haywood, Lady Annabelle. I'm talking about music. Uh, you guys just went to New York for the Grammys. Yeah. I guess you and Charles did. Hillary just had the baby, yeah. so she didn't go. Yeah. Was that timing always, oh, this might she... Well, to be honest, I'll have to walk you through it because it was um, just crazy the way it happened. I mean, we were on the red carpet. Me and Charles went up to New York with our uh, wives for the Grammys, and we have a four-week-old little girl at home, and so we had to leave her for the day, which we did okay, but really missed her. But um, we got up there, we're on the red carpet, we're doing interviews and stuff, and we were kind of joking because it's been kind of a the timeline of when she's supposed to have when you have twins you have them a little early um that's just what happens with twins because there's twice the fun in there so you you have (laughs) twins early than what your scheduled due date is um for space reasons uh so anyways we knew it was going to be sometime soon but we literally we get off the red carpet or we get done with the show and we go have dinner and we're just group texting we group text me charles and hillary we like group text all the time just like oh my gosh you know how are you feeling? What's going on? Just silly stuff, animated GIFs, the whole nine yards, just fun group text. And we were texting at 10, 30 or 11. And then we all went to bed at midnight or something. And I woke up at six to go to the airport and had like 10 missed texts. You know, when you wake up and you have like all these missed texts, you're like, Oh God, what's going on? Sure enough. She's like, we went to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. We had the babies. I'm like, what? We were texting at 10 o'clock last night and everything she, I thought she was like joking about like you guys are making me laugh with this cardboard cutout that we brought to the Grammys of Hillary. Y'all are making me have contractions and laugh. And I thought I thought she was joking. I was like, were you serious? <laughs> you must have been serious uh, about contractions. But sure enough, so literally the night of the Grammys, uh, she had the twin girls, and so um, I haven't met them yet. Uh, they've just a few days ago, and so it's it's awesome. We've been getting some beautiful photos from her and, and texts and stuff. So. Um, but I'm thrilled for him. That's awesome. How? What was the dynamic with? Because Hillary's husband, who I know, so I'm talking about people like I don't know them, but yeah. I, who I know, like her husband's a drummer, right? How, how was that whole thing with the band? And there's now there's another influence that's kind of on the inside of the band without actually being the band. Like that dynamic also has to change things up a bit, right? Of having her, her husband, oh, the, just her drumming, hus- and he's again he's on the inside because he's with Hillary, but he's right. not really part of the band. No one else could do it but him. He's a he is such a he's such a team player and such a great. I mean, he's a badass drummer. Let me just go ahead and lead with that. Uh, lead with that. He is in our band because he is one of the best drummers there is. He really is from a technical standpoint. His power, um, his intuitiveness for where we go on a live show. Um, again, it works great. I mean, really, it's not like a there's never been any kind of like a dissension of like, um, you know, I handle a lot of the band stuff, 
Um, and so I reach out to him all the time independently of like, hey, we got to go do this rehearsal. Or Are you the band leader? Um, our, our keyboard player is technically our band leader, but um, I kind of enjoy doing all that stuff and organizing that. Um, I like I enjoy working with like the TV shows, like when we performed on the ACMs last year. Um, I really enjoyed like working with Rack and working with the producers and UNLV and the horn section. And yeah, that was really I just cool love... when you guys brought out the band. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was re- that was a really cool Thank moment, you, man. Thank you. And it kind of everybody's eyes got real big. Yeah, because it was you. loud. Yeah, it's it very loud. Oh god, you should have heard it backstage in a locker room. <laughs> it was like annoyingly loud, but it was a great moment. But I, I love doing that stuff. But but I mean, Chris has been such an amazing piece to our whole Lady A world. It really, I mean, it all just works. I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to like just always blow smoke. And I think we've said that plenty of times. I mean, it genuinely works between all of us really, really well. So you play guitar, you play mandolin. I'm trying to think things I've seen you play. Um, piano and guitar, I'd say are my main, main two that I but enjoy. But you, st- you still play, I've seen mm-hmm. you play mandolin. Mandolin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you practice? Do you still have to practice or is it mostly up there? Um, I don't practice. I mean, I kind of play for fun, but you, I don't. You ever just grab it at home and play? For oh, fun? oh, god, all the time. Oh, so you still enjoy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have a studio room upstairs, um, much like this room, just a great kind of home studio room with a full Pro Tools rig and then about twenty guitars and stuff. So, um, bazooki, which is like a bigger mandolin, Irish mandolin, and you play drums. Um, I can keep a beat decent, yeah. I can keep it beat decent. I mean, a lot of the stuff you do now is programmed, so you like use a little keyboard pad just to like get a kick and snare. And you ever wake up in the middle of the night and go have an idea? Yeah, and then you you have to go get it out of your head. Yeah, I have to go put it down. Um, and a lot of mine are musical. You know, um, I normally start musically, so for me, it's a lot of like you know, hear a chord progression or um, hear a kind of groove or I don't know. I need you now, open. You know, dun dun dun. What? What what did that come from? My Grohas came up with that piano part. I have to give him 100% of the credit. Um, but we wrote that with Josh Keir um, early in our career, and it kind of went in the back pocket for a while. I mean, we wrote it after our first record, which had Love Don't Live Here um, and Looking for a Good Time. And uh, I Run to You were our first three singles. Hey, let me hit some of this here. Here we go. Here's like, hey, I'm just looking for a good time. I run to you. You said you mentioned. I run to you. It was yeah. on the first record. Yeah. This one tests well. Still gets played a lot. Yeah, it, it still does. Feels current to me. Yeah, even though it was from the first record. It's and listen to those lyrics in our society today, man. It's huge. Tom Douglas. We've, Tom Douglas sat in that chair and blew oh, my mind. Did he mind. come here? Oh yeah. He talked about you guys. Really? Yeah, and gathering around the piano. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a beautiful little farm and uh, our beautiful home out in you know, Franklin or whatever and just an old piano and he's such a poet. He's just so artistic. I'm like, I like want to be him. I would fangirl him just even though we've written with him a dozen times, like I would fangirl him just about everything. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to sit next to some really mind-blowingly awesome people that I only appreciate way later. Right. Because in the moment, and that's got to be like that with you at times too. You're doing this big... Right, right, in right. the moment, you're just trying to get through it and not suck. Right. And right. you look back at it and go, "Yeah, that was awesome. It was so cool. That was a poem, uh, which we've told that story, but our bass player jokes us about that a lot. But it was it was a poem Tom had written uh, called I Run to You, and it was just all these things that he runs from pessimists and prejudice. That's right. He told the story, right? Um, I, 
he was like run, he was like actually running I think maybe the Music City Marathon but he had all these visions of things that you run from I mean how deep is that you know like <laughs> I mean it's like like why can't I think of that kind of stuff he's just that kind of guy and has lived a lot of great life and and had you know his ups and downs that he writes and shares about but yeah that started with a poem and we basically took his poem and kind of put music to it um, and then we got into it so writing for the next record we had a writing appointment with Josh Keir and we never written with him before but he had written before he cheats uh, for Carrie Underwood, and uh, we went in there and wrote one song uh, first for about an hour, and it was kind of quick, and I just it didn't feel like a good song. Um, an hour—that's a quick write. It was a quick write. He had had um, he had had like half of it done. It was a song called "Young Love," and it just didn't feel like us. It didn't feel like us, and we finished it, and I was like, "Yeah." And then it was like one of those things. Charles was like, why don't we just stay and write another song? And I was like, I mean, we're all single and had nothing to do. I was like, sounds great. I'm, I'm here. So we started writing another song, and um, Charles had some melodies on the guitar. He had just started playing guitar, actually, and learned a few chords on the acoustic. So he came up with some of the melody on the verse. And then we kind of just sailed off from there. And, it, you know, we wrote it really quick. I'd say in an hour as well. Wow. Need you now happen fast. Some of the some songs take like six hours, or a few days, or a couple writing sessions. Need you now was quick. I run to you was pretty quick. You finished Need You Now, and it's just a song. It's just a song. I, I didn't think it would. Um, we sat on it for probably eight months, just sitting in our iTunes playlist, and our very last label meeting to cut with Paul Worley for that Need You Now record, which it was not obviously titled then. Um, I remember, and again, it's just a beautiful testament, I think, Charles and his memory and his passion and, and ear for music. He was like, what about that? Remember that song we wrote with Josh Keir that day? You know, it's kind of like, it sounds just like it'd be a cool album track. You know, kind of one of those, like, <laughs> kind of insider songs that, like, people just love the vibe. You know, it's, it could probably have, like, a cool vibe. Um, what if we, you know, in the, the acoustic demo, I ought to play you some of that. I mean, the acoustic demo is just... We're fumbling all over the melody, you know, it's like he messes up a lyric and it was just all over the place. The acoustic demo was really just, it was just a voice memo from our phone. And so it sounded really rough, but we were like a couple of the people in the room, Autumn House, Mike Dungan, um, they all kind of perked up. They're like, that could be kind of cool. Why don't you guys try that? And so still, we didn't know what was happening. We got in the studio and recorded it. And I think once we got in there and Paul Worley got his hands on it, he made, so the piano part, Mike Rojas was tinkering around you know when you're warming up in the studio and he started to kind of do that on the outro of the song and we were like man do that on the intro that's like a hook that sounds like one of those big hooks the bass line this guy named craig young played that paul worley got i could geek out on these guys names for for, for hours but um some of the bass playing piano playing guitar i mean me and paul played about 25 acoustic guitars on that song so when it gets to the chorus... There are that many guitars on the song. Acoustics. Yeah. So this is an old... Um, I, I won't go down this tangent forever. This is an old Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young uh, trick that Paul Worley knew where you kind of... If you have like up to 20 to 30 acoustics, it makes it feel like the whole song chugs along really well. Like the wall of sound. It's like a, a bit, wall of but... sound, right? So if you notice on the chorus, there's just this jing, 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 straight kind of thing. And that's about 25 acoustics in the background. I mean, Paul Worley... Can you Worley, duplicate them, though? Is it not the same? It's if not you, the same. If you want to 
in, in today's world, you could just duplicate them, yeah. But to have different guitars with different woods and different strings from different eras and different times all surrounding in stereo 25 different guitars all playing. And, you know, Paul plays a little different than I play, and I play a little different and, and finger some of the chords differently with different voicings. But just those little nuances on the track, when Paul Worley got and, and dug in with that song, I mean, I got to give it to Mike Rojas. The piano stuff is amazing on that song, and I got to give it to Paul Worley, man. He is such a champion for great art, and he takes his time with it. And that can be hard with patience in the studio because we all want to just pump out a track in one day. But Paul will sit on it and work on it and work on it, and then two months later, you're like, "Wow, this thing sounds timeless." So you write it and you think it's a song. Then it's sitting there, and you think, "Oh, this is a song." You right. cut it, right? When do you realize that it could be special? Um, once we cut it and we started showing it to people. So we recorded it and we started playing it for, you know, our friends. Um, I mean, I wasn't married at the time. I wouldn't say my wife, but friends and people at the label and management. And they're like, man, that's like, that could be really a crazy cool kind of first single. Um, and we're like, no, we need to have a tempo. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to have like the rock and tempo as your first song. And they were like, man, it just this feels like a piece of art. It feels like art. And we were all about it. We just thought it would be the album track. But we were all about it. I mean, it was my, it was all of our favorite song that we had recorded for the Need You Now, for that record. So you have the, the song, and it goes to country radio first. Right. And it splashes. Yeah, it does. At what point do you realize that this splash is bigger than what we expected it to be? So we started getting calls i mean to this day nothing will ever happen like this ever again it just won't the stars aligned i mean we started getting calls from every format um and then all around the world i mean literally i I, i'd have to pull up the emails i remember emails from like hey there's this you know the people in italy heard it people in uh, romania heard it people in russia and australia and japan all these people all around the world want to start spinning the song and i was like what like, how did the, you know, I mean, it it literally spread like wildfire. I mean, country radio it went to number one for four or five weeks um, and stayed there for four or five weeks. And then we sent it to pop radio, um, you know, which we caught a little flack for. People do, you know, when you kind of cross over or send a song out to a different format and stuff. So I get that. But it went huge. It just went massive. I played it point. at pop radio. I remember when yeah. the song came. Yeah. And that's when I remember when that band with the crazy name was yeah. the band of the song oh, yeah. that we're playing at pop right at, at what point did it feel like where this is a whole new ball game it's a whole new ball i mean the international stuff canada and europe it took off in canada and europe and we started getting requests to you know play in london and play in toronto and go play in australia i mean that was like for me we felt like the little kids from the country who get to go play in the big cities all around the world um, did you get lost in that? Was it so much at, at, <clears throat> in a quick beat, or did you actually were you able to dissect it a bit and enjoy it? That's a tough one. That's a really tough question. There's definitely parts that we didn't dissect. I mean, we didn't have anything to gauge it off of, so it was all happening for the first time. You know, it's like whenever if anything ever happens and something takes off, you don't know what to gauge it against. This had ne- it never happened before. Um, Did you reach out to anyone who had crossed over inside the... That's always what I wonder, because there are a few yeah, that had crossed over I mean, inside the format that you say, hey, I'm going into the pop world or the hot AC world. Right. You know, 
what are the things that happened to you that I don't expect? Did you have right. any? We didn't have anybody, I guess. I mean, our manager, Gary Borman, did a great job um, at the time we were with Gary Borman, and he did a great job of having a lot of experience with a lot of pop acts and also Keith Urban. He represents Keith Urban. And Keith had a lot. He has a lot of music that really goes around the world. I don't know if people really realize how big he is in Europe and Canada and Australia and stuff. So he had some experience with with Keith with a lot of international success. But it was just the three of us kind of strapping on for and holding on for dear life. I mean, it was a wild, crazy ride. Um, it's so hard. You know, I, I, I watch people on TV now that go through these things. You know, when we were at the Grammys too, I'm watching. Alicia Cara and all the new artists and you know when Sam Hunt was taken off and then you know you watch all these acts in Stapleton what he's going through and whoa it's crazy I mean it's insane are the asks all the time it's all the time and you kind of lose yourself in that because you think you're supposed to say yes to everything and you do say yes to everything and I mean I remember a vivid moment Taylor Swift was about a year ahead of us in country music. She won New Artist of the Year at the ACMs and the CMAs. She was kind of like a year ahead of us winning a lot of the new new stuff when she was coming out in country. And I just remember watching her and her trajectory and how much she just killed it and kept going and kept going. And I think we hit a point. So we after the night of the Grammys in 2009 or 2010, I forget the year, where we won for record and song three, of the year. Right? We won five in, in one night. You won five for, that night? For Need You Now. Wow. I mean, I song of the year. Song, record. And um, single. Was single one of the grant? No. There, there were a few country ones and then a few of okay, the so all genres. Okay, so you won the three country ones that yeah. I'm thinking of. Okay. And then the two all genres. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I mean, it was crazy, dude. Live Your Life by Rihanna was in that category. You know, New York, New York by Jay-Z was in the category. Were you getting people in the spectrum of not country going, hey, I love that song. Yeah. And oh, yeah. to you, it was like, whoa, you oh, yeah. even know who we are? Yeah, I mean, like Lady Gaga came up that year and um, some of the guys from uh, a couple of the other big bands. But yeah, you get some of the like hip-hop artists. John Mayer, we met John Mayer for the first time. Um, I loved your interview of his, by the way. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, uh, really cool. Because I, I grew up in Georgia, Lo- I loved his history at in Atlanta with Clay Cook and stuff. Um, Which is the whole Clay Cook thing's crazy too. It's crazy. Yeah, the whole it gets, it's, it's, for those who don't know, Clay is now with Zach Brown. Yeah, and Clay's awesome. I love him. But him and John were together. I as love a duo. it all. Yeah. And Christian Bush was in a few days ago. There's one that just went up. And we're, you know, Christian was in the John scene in Atlanta. Yeah, of course. And they know Eddie's each other. Attic. The whole yeah, the whole, I mean, Christian was the first band to ever play Eddie's Attic, and that's yep. where John. Kind of came up, yeah. But again, we're nerding on something different. No, I know, I know. Was there a part of you? And again, I'm just jumping. A bit oh, but wait, let me finish that thought real quick, just because I was going to say we as a band, I think, made a conscious. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, if that felt please rude. do. But we as a band, I remember after we won all those Grammys, everything came in. Go play around the world, do everything. I remember thinking, the three of us discussing because you know we were like, I just don't, I don't want to lose myself. I don't want to, I don't want to work that much. You know, we kind of hit this point in our career where we said we could work 365 days a year because there's enough stuff that's coming in right now that we could. But I don't want to. Um, you know, I I want to I want to work and play 150, 200 shows. You know, do radio, do some great fun things, and record. But I don't want to work every day of the year. And so everything came in where we could have lost ourselves in it. But I. I would say between the three of us and the perks of being in a group, you're able to have conversation with each other and work through things together. And we kind of said, you know what? This is amazing, the success. Let's keep it going with, with as much as we can, but not at the sacrifice of ourselves. So where my mind goes, you're telling the story, is that instead of thinking how amazing this is, is that 
something great happens, how in the world do you follow that up? Because nothing's mm-hmm. ever going to follow that up. Nothing. Nothing. You, it was a perfect storm. So, you know, what do you put out after when yeah. it doesn't do the same? Do you feel like a failure, even though it's doing amazing relatively to everything else except that one lightning in a bottle? I mean, I can't ever use the word failure. I mean, everything that we've done in music, I just feel lucky that we get to do music, honestly. Um, so that was just beyond any wildest expectation. And it was just a rare moment. I mean, you know, because it's also the first time somebody hears about it. I mean, imagine the first time you hear about a band, too. There's kind of that, you can't get enough of it. I mean, the first time I heard about, you know, Haim, this you know pop trio, I was like, oh, my God, I watched every YouTube right. you could possibly watch, which I love them and I'm obsessed with them. Um, uh, female pop group that's the out singer, now. The three singers. The three H-A-I-M. sisters. Yeah. Everybody wants to know how to spell it, but yeah. yeah. Yes. I don't know if I said it right. That's how I say I it. I don't either. And when you said, this is how I know you're smart. When you said GIF, that's how people that really know say it. <laughs> but the rest of us say GIF. And so all the, the, the term now with the normals, right. us, not you, us, the normals, the down below, we, everybody says GIF. But when someone says GIF, you know they really know what That's the answer is. That's how you is. knew. knew That's I, how I knew, yeah. I didn't just come to play today. Yeah, I could, yeah, this is real. So Need You Now crushes it. Yeah. Well, what's the next single? It's um, country radio. It was American Honey, which was a huge. A successful song. It was huge. But was there a bit of... Huh, I wonder if this one will cross over because it was um, so big the time before. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's hard. It's really tough. You put all this pressure on yourself. I've driven myself crazy. Yeah. Did you tell this story? I'm going, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm insane oh, like yeah. halfway through the ride because yeah. I'm going, the next ride, i got to start building If it. I knew what I knew now about my personality type and everything I've learned about myself in the last six months at you know, counseling and on-site and everything, oh my gosh, I would have. it, it would have been... It would have been helpful to know that much about myself, but maybe I'm grateful I didn't know as much about myself. And I just, we kept our foot on the gas and just kept going. But yeah, I mean, you, we ran into that for the next record. I, I think for the, the following record, but those songs did well at Country. Um, we had Just a Kiss and We Own the Night, um, which came out on our third record. But I don't know. Then we started asking, I think we hit a point where we started second guessing ourselves, you know, which it all led into. I mean, you know, if anybody knows our evolution. In our journey, you know, leading into a, um, you know, we had some songs. Maybe people don't know about them because they didn't work. But we had a few singles at radio that didn't do anything. Um, Goodbye Town was a struggle for us. Um, freestyle didn't really work. Hello World was really a struggle. Um, and why do you think those were a struggle? What what moved? Well, at that point in time, I, I think some Lady Annabelle fatigue began. I really do. Too much? I think there's too much Lady A. Too much, you know. And and it's just a natural cycle. I get it with anything. Sports teams that always win. I mean, we, we, had, we had won a lot. And our songs had been all number ones for a while. And then, you know, you get to a point where if the song isn't maybe as special, it's like, well, we've, heard, we've already heard that style from them. We get what they do. So there were a couple missed, misses for us. I mean, that kind of led into... I think some second guessing for us as Lady A, we kind of started to lean more on the business side of like, well, we got to get some hits again, guys. And then we just like, what happened to us when we made music that we didn't care about where we lived in Josh Kelly's house and we wrote, I run to you and we wrote love don't live here. And we wrote need you now. I mean, what, what happened to that? You know, how did we get that? And, and those songs came about because we weren't thinking. And then we went into a period of of our career where we started thinking too much, I think. And and I think anybody that probably hits seven years, ten years, fifteen years 
and there's been a lot of great people in this seat on your podcast that probably would say the same thing. There's just ebbs and flows, and you, and you do you get to that point where you you lose a little bit of what got you where where you are. Do you feel like you got some of that back, or all of that back, or a different back for heartbreak? I think we got, I think we got it back. I really think we got it back. Um, I think we said that we got it back on some earlier records. Um, but you know, we obviously had a break, had some time away, different projects were out time to just kind of reconnect with who we are. Uh, and, and I think for heartbreak living together was just such a fun experience making the record that kind of, that helped us get it back. I mean, to like wake up and, you know, laugh and make coffee and, you know, I mean, living together, you're a part of every little facet of each other's lives. And it, it, it made us laugh again and made us feel young and made us, I think, write innocent music again. I want to play something here and you'll know it, but well, something I pulled out. All right. A deep cut. Never alone. So this is Never Alone, Jim Brickman. And this is the first time that you guys were on something together. Right. So this was... Uh, this song actually was on the Hot AC chart, if, right. I'm, if I'm right. It did It did pretty well. It's, yeah. I mean, a really impactful lyric and moving song, too. So, tell people who Jim Brickman is. Yeah, Jim Brickman's an instrumentalist, piano player. Um, and we were writing a lot with Victoria Shaw early on. And him and Victoria Shaw were good friends. And uh, they said, Jim's looking for a featured vocalist for this song, Never Alone. And Hillary <laughs> killed the song. It's a perfect fit. For her, she's so believable. It was the first time Lady Annabella was recognized yeah. as Lady Annabella. It was before we had a record deal. Before, yeah. So, what do you do on this song? I just sing some harmonies. Yeah, Charles just sings some harmonies. Um, it was mostly Hillary, mostly Hillary singing lead. Was it kind of cool? She wrote the song. Hillary wrote that. Oh, she wrote the lyrics. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. Hillary wrote that with Victoria Shaw and maybe somebody else. Please forgive me, somebody else, if you hear this. And I can't remember who it was. But yeah, so Jim Brickman was looking for a feature vocalist. That's got to be cool to see your name on something. It was awesome. You're a real entity whenever you're on. Lady Anne oh, yeah. is I on mean, something. To see, uh, you know, when it's dark at night and you're in your car and the, you know, the radio letters, you know, they light up scrolling across. I mean, to see like... You know, when it goes across, Jim Brickman featuring parentheses or whatever, Lady Annabelle. I mean, I'll never forget it. I mean, that was amazing. That was before we had a record deal, too. Victoria cool. Victoria Shaw really was a huge champion um, for that song, and, and, and our, she was a producer on our first record, and that was a big moment for us. You talk about being a songwriter, uh, aside from any of the Lady A stuff. Would you like this one? Uh, me, Charles, and Luke. We had no fun that day. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a terrible day. So, and I, with songwriters, and I've gotten right. to know a lot of them on a much closer level because of doing this. This has been a great environment for me to get to know people, and right. they get to ask questions I would never ask in right. my life. And I've also learned that with some songwriters, when they tell stories about their big songs, they have to almost have revisionist history because they write so many songs. Yeah, and they don't remember, but they have to have a story because someone goes, "Tell me when you wrote the house that built me." Right, and if you don't have a story. <clears throat> kind of lets people down right so when i say do i do you remember the day of course that was the first time we'd written with luke um we had we had known luke bryan and we had talked about writing i mean we were all like on our first record and stuff and uh you know he called us out to his house he's like dude if you guys want to come over and write and he's a really awesome and chaotic guy and i just remember it being so like 
you know, there's just so much going on in his world. He's got such a cr- awesome, crazy family that's all over the place. And we show up, and so it was loud inside. And so we came out onto the front porch, and we sat on Luke's front porch. I mean, it feels like like one of those classic like country moments, um, you know. But like we sat on Luke Bryan's front porch and had two guitars and and wrote this song. We wrote another one, but this one was definitely like an amazing one. And what 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 we wrote it with him, and he had some of the verse stuff going. And we really, I mean, he, Luke had, I was, I have to give Luke credit. He had a lot of this song in pieces, like a puzzle. Like, I've got this melody, man. You know, I've got this kind of thing, this idea. You know, I just think the lyric is brilliant. He had the, the, the some of the lyric. Um, and we really, fin- me and Charles helped him finish the song. So I, any songwriter would tell you, there's always kind of like, and, and it's different. Like, some write, I'll be there, and it'll be like, dude, I got this whole track, and I got this title, and then we, you know, and, you know, some, there's always like somebody that has a little bit more. And Luke had a lot of this kind of ready to go. And so me and Charles were there to help him finish it, come up with the bridge, finish some of the lyrics. And I mean, we, we loved it because it was the first time, it was his first number one, his very first number one. It was the first time I'd really heard him on a ballad that was moving. It, it felt really moving to hear Luke, you know, because he's such a, all, a lot of his tracks are big party songs, but I, I like the, the ballads he does. I mean, Drink a Beer. You know, for Luke, I love I'm I love ballads kind of more than anything. Yeah, so but. do I. I do too. Because that you feel them. <laughs> we record so many ballads. We've always talked about should we just do an album of like the ballads? I mean, we just love. Do you remember the commercial when we were younger? Because we're re- same age, relatively. Where you'd wake up at one in the morning and it was like, now for nine ninety nine love songs, yeah. and it was how am I supposed to live without you? Yes. And it would go Richard Marks and Luther Vandross. They just scroll down. It would scroll the whole time. And then the one that they were singing would be in white. Yeah. highlight, oh, yep. And then it would yep. change. Those, um, God, we got stuck on the bus last year. I think we'd had a couple whiskeys. But we were all just like, this is the greatest. And I think somebody <laughs> in the band called and ordered it, you know? Like, they're such great little collections of music. But yeah, I mean, I would, oh, I would sit and watch those things scroll. And they're like 30-minute infomercials. You know, so they would just go on and on and on. I caught myself in a rabbit hole of watching YouTube videos of '90s commercials. <laughs> and I, yeah, I know. And I, that was one, I watched. I think four different commercials of that ser- time life. They're yeah. time life. Okay, I forgot about love that. Love songs of the '90s. Time life. Wow. And it, again, I just remember. Man. Tell me how am I supposed to live with that? Sitting at the piano, just right. killing it, man. Right. Uh, will you guys ever pl- not play "Need You Now"? Oh no. Okay, so no. that's. That's it. It's so fun to play. It still? still is fun. Um, I would imagine one day you get tired of it, but when the crowd responds that way, it's it's fun. I asked because we had a show at the Ryman, my band, or my goofy band. We, so right. we played the Ryman. We invited a bunch of people to come out. Right. And we had uh, we flew Hanson in to play. Oh, yeah. Y'all did, it was a charity thing, right? We do it for St. Jude every year. Yeah. So it's the Raging Idiots million-dollar show and all. Yeah. We, we ask about Dirks. And yep. Everybody, everybody comes to play. And so I brought Hanson in. And they just really don't like playing Umbop. But I they get, don't? No. Both times I had to, to say, because uh, they're very nice. Yeah. They couldn't have been nicer. Yeah. And, but I remember Taylor coming up saying, hey, listen, we'd really love to do, because everybody was doing two songs. Yeah, you know, right. we, we had it, Darius was out. Dirks came out. Um, and everybody was doing two songs. And they said, hey, we'd, we'd really like to do this song instead. I said, great. Why don't you do three songs then? Right. You have to do Umbop. Like the people, right? Want they, they, that's what they want, and they people went crazy. Yeah, you, I was watching thirty-year-old oh, women climb the side <laughs> of stairs backstage to get a picture, <laughs> and then they came up on the show and they didn't want to play it. Oh. And so I said, "Hey, would you guys just mind playing a verse and a chorus?" Yeah, I mean, I guess that song for them though happened at a much younger, maybe you know, intersection in their lives, and 
maybe they're just that was a weird time for them maybe but i mean we're all like you know older and i mean weren't they like teenagers really young yeah i think the the drummer may have been like nine yeah something like that yeah Yeah. so anyways i don't know darius does it really well too i mean i think he's a great champion for always playing hold my hand let her cry only want to be with you yeah. You know, in addition to all his number ones at country, yeah. I think yeah. he, he's a good. We're t- and we're touring with him this summer, which is fun because we're going to kind of collaborate some and come in and out. And you know, I mean, I, I love playing on those songs. I, I want to play on. That's my, my fr- Darius. My first ever radio interview when I was seventeen. Really? Mm-hmm. It was wow. Actually, Darius, and so we've come up. Around, he did it without the band, or just um, I got. St- I, they, I was again my first ever interview right. as a teenager, I was about to start freshman year of college, wow. and I was a huge Hootie fan. So I drove an hour and a half. And I don't know if they were going to be Sony Dean. I had no idea. Right, right, right. And I was scared crapless. And, right. And they said, "Hey, you get Darius." And I was nice. like, "Holy crap!" And I go and I was shaking. And he took the microphone and just held it and led me through the interview. Wow. And so we've kind of come up parallel. In yep. our We've both shifted formats. Yep. Naturally, both got kicked back from it. Right. Then finally, people said, "Okay, we believe you." Right. And so he's, we've always been close. Right. And to, he's been just a great friend to me. Yeah. More than he's ever needed to be. He's come to, flown on charity events. He drove in from Charleston to do the Ryman show. Yeah, he's so kind, man. He, he really is so he's kind. He's got some party stories, too. And I will always let him tell the party stories. I never want to tell the, the Hootie. But, man. Right. The Hootie party stories. <laughs> and, and he says, uh, and he said on, on the air before, when, when he finally writes the book, people are going to go, dang. Yeah. We heard that, you know, the Who used to yeah. party. Wait well, the, you know, those guys, anybody in that era, uh, you know, to preface it, I don't party a lot, but anybody in those eras, like, you didn't have social media, so you could just kind of party and go crazy, and there was, like, no repercussions, I guess, you know? like you When could, he, he played the show, I, I got him, he came out during one of our, we were doing Purple Rain, and he came oh, out yeah. and scared us, and we know he's coming out, he's like, I do this song, he just jumped on stage and started singing. I said, okay, cool, but we're going to make you do an extra song, and so right. I was a geek for Cracked Review, and then I said, hey, let's do Hold My Hand. And so we played it together, him and I up front. Nice, nice. And it was that and better than Ezra. I had uh, Kevin come out from better than Ezra. And we did oh, yeah. good and desperately wanting. Yes. Total selfish. Wanting. Yeah. I remember running through the wet grass, falling. And I was like, I'm in heaven. Yeah. I'm in heaven. Yeah. To me, those the songs when you're a kid yeah. and the artist from when you were a kid yeah. mean more than a superstar. The nineties stuff too, man. Oh, that nineties rock. I mean, who didn't love that stuff? Yeah. I mean, all the Pearl Jam that was going on. Cracked your review, I mean, that was I was obsessed. So obsessed with Craig Review. I there was an album cut on that called uh, "Running from an Angel," and it was "Running from an Angel, Running to the Devil, okay. Devil." And and I, I was talking to Darius in Austin. He came and did a charity event. I said, "Hey, dude, I haven't heard that song in forever. That was my jam. I used to go to high school football practice." And he goes, "Man," he goes, <laughs> "I haven't played that song in ten years." <laughs> and we're at the event, and he goes, "I got this for you." They worked it out, and they played the whole song. Oh man, I think I got an erection. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. A toner. Yeah, That's yeah. A, uh, I did. A musical, a toner. That's what they call it in Pitch Perfect. So you guys are going out with Darius. A toner, yes. <laughs> they, they, that third one's coming out too, huh? Pitch Perfect 3? It's out. Maybe now? I should just at least leave my disclaimer that my wife is obsessed and so I kind of enjoy no, no. them. Lunchbox just went on a whole thing about how he loves Pitch Perfect. They're kind of good though. That's what he said too. I mean, yeah. Anna Kendrick's fun to watch too. She's a great singer. So You guys are out with Darius. All summer. All summer. Yeah. Hillary's rocking. She'll be rocking, man. I mean, she was really, I, I'll give it to Hillary. She was, you know, like, guys, I'm ready to go back out. Let's let's plan another tour, another big amphitheater tour. So um, it'll be fun. We've never, like, really done, like, um, just kind of this co-headlining thing back and forth. So it's going to be cool. Well, I got to say, I was uh, looking forward to this because like, you should be the lead talker. <laughs> no. <laughs> man. 
If you have like an hour, I can I can do like an right, hour. My, this is I'm just been fantastic. I, I didn't know think, what to expect because Charles has such a big personality, right. and he's also the front man talker too. Right, right. And I, again, I like Charles, and I get along great with Charles. Right. But you know, you come in and you know you you take your role and you go, oh, yeah, when you need me, I'm here. Well, I just I, I don't feel like I can like I'm hard in like in a one to two minute setting. It's just hard for me to get deep because I think I I'm always thinking, you know, really deep, and so it's hard for me to like fully get there in a minute or two at radio. So I hope you feel like you got hour, there a bit here. I, I totally feel like this was enjoyable. Thank you. My first podcast. Look at that guy over here. Look at this guy, Dave Haywood. The unicorn. The unicorn. Never by himself. I, I never had a conversation <laughs> until he came over to the house. And uh, thanks for coming up the hill. Thanks for coming over to the house. Thanks for having me. Seriously, we've done an hour and an hour and ten minutes or so. Really? It, it goes like that, huh? Wow, that's awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Seriously. Twice you went, huh? I've never been asked that. Oh, that those are the rewards for me. Yeah. When someone goes, you know what? I hadn't thought about it that yep. way. So yep. I feel like this has been a good conversation. Me too. I Thanks learned too. a lot. Me too, Bobby. Thank Look you. at this guy. Genius over here. Mike, anything you want to add? Yeah, <laughs> me too, man. I'm completely satisfied. All right, Dave Haywood, uh, go watch him. And uh, Charles and Hillary, Lady Annabellum and Darius throughout the summer and Heartbreak. You may listen to this a year from now because podcasts live forever. Their newest album, After Heartbreak, it's called insert here is amazing i love it it's probably my favorite new record wouldn't you agree there's a lot of heart in this one so much you really action. found yourself as a band right, again, yes yes again. yes all right uh, we'll see you guys next time <laughs> this festival and concert season will be all about the boots and tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert all tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend and tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.